Welcome back to another exciting edition of 77 Minutes in Heaven, your favorite Mavs podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Brian Damaris, as always, alongside the greatness of Mark Followell. And today we have another amazing guest, our Mavs postgame show buddy from the Ticket Reunited Jake Kemp is joining us. And, of course, writer of many a great article that you see on the Athletic DFW regarding the Mavs and other things over the years, but, of course, particularly uh, many deep dives on the Mavs and various players and strategies and games and assorted things about uh, basketball and such. So uh, Jake's insight is outstanding. We're getting to hear him now day in, day out on the ticket, but we've known that for many years because we've been alongside him on the postgame yeah, show. Brian. Noon to three, uh, Super Bad Radio with Dan McDowell on the ticket every day listen to that and uh last time we talked to him was march 11th on our mega post game show that we did for three hours when uh the league was shut down so we haven't spoken to him in uh, a few months and it would be great to get his perspective on everything that's happening in terms of the restart and after that you and i will come back with uh, the latest news and notes as we record this and um let's not Dilly dally and get, as my dad would say, and get right to Mr. Kemp. Well, follow well. Our string of A-list guests continues. Yes, it does. We are joined by a man who has shunned us since March 11th, but we have enjoyed him for six years on the Mavs postgame show on the ticket, and we have not talked to him in a couple of months. Our Mavs buddy Jake Kemp is joining us. Gentlemen, Jake. I miss it. I miss it so bad. Uh, I really wish... Or I find myself wondering why this couldn't happen during the year that we were doing post-game shows where Brian and I would wonder when would they show Raymond Felton at a charity event on the Jumbotron uh, every game. Like, just why not in one of the years where we kind of were ready for it to be over yeah. in uh, in March? No, they took it from us during the most exciting time we've had in a decade, and it sucks and it sucks not getting to talk about it with you guys well hey man i'm glad that now that you're tier one that you haven't shunned us uh i do appreciate the fact that uh you're saying that and that you're joining us on the podcast it's good to talk to you dude you too you too i'm uh i'm fired up because it feels like and i don't know if it's the smartest decision i've kind of given up on weighing in on whether it's the smartest decision but it feels like this is going to happen and now we're just the devils in the details right yeah yeah, yeah for sure. that's where I kind of wanted to start things is as we've we've seen a flurry of proposals and ideas. Cuban came out with his idea on Monday. Um, let's let's table the should should they do it in the pace of return to play and let's get to, you know, what the formatics are. Where's your head on a desired, um, you know, setup when they return? Well, you know, the first thing to me that's really interesting is just that almost all of the proposals result in some form of a Western Conference team playing an Eastern Conference team in what is nominally going to be dubbed the playoffs. And that is going to be very hard to wrap your head around, uh, whether it's the straight 16, which I don't think will happen. It seems like we're all kind of leaning towards the 20. Um, and, you know, you could have I think there was a time. A few years ago, whenever I was probably on team, let's just take the top 16 and rival rivalries be damned. But, you know, then you watch the last dance and you watch the Mavs 2011 run and you're like, ah, there is something to that. There is something to these conference rivalries that I don't want to miss. And, you know, at the end of the day, even if you're on a private jet flying back and forth and back and forth from, you know, west to east and, you know, potentially every round of the playoffs that. That's not like a tenable situation that I think is going to find purchase, you know, beyond this year. So I don't think they have to worry about that. To me, the real tension is the protection of do they want to make it as easy as possible for the teams that currently have the best records, even if they just happen to be the Lakers. I think it would be the case no matter who it was uh, in each conference, the Lakers and the Bucks. Do they want to make it as easy as possible for those teams to reach the finals or do they want to try to provide an opportunity for teams that currently would be outside of particularly the top eight in the West to have a chance. And it all seems to come back to Zion. But, um, you know, that's where it's, it's kind of strange because it's like, do they want to make sure that they have LeBron and Giannis and Kawhi or do they want to uh, expose because see, in that scenario, they could be exposing losing a guy like Luca or a guy like Ja 
by the first round of the quote real playoffs because the easier you make it for those teams at the top to advance uh it would seem to me that you're making it easier for teams at the bottom of the you know now table to end up looking up two weeks into it and being like are we eliminated from the playoffs like we were in seventh uh two months ago so to me that's their their the tension is how democratic do they want to make it versus how much do they want to favor teams for what they've already accomplished and when you hear about the five uh the world cup style you know four uh, pools five teams man i if i were a team at the top you know top two spots in my conference right now i would be kicking and screaming uh against that idea i don't know about you guys but you could screw around in five games and all of a sudden be out, you know, mm-hmm. and if Zion gets hot, all of a sudden you're out. And so to me, that's that's what's particularly interesting for the NBA because it is such a star driven league. Well, you, you, there's a lot to unpack from what you said, and you bring up a lot of good points. And in comparison where you know they can't even get over the hurdle of how they're going to pay people and what they're going to pay people in baseball, and that's a whole other discussion for another time. But as it relates to basketball and the NBA, it seems like certainly there is a desire on the part of the players to play. Uh, clearly, the owners want to try to uh, salvage as much as they can financially by putting on some sort of remainder of the season in the playoffs. The really tricky part about the whole thing is, Jake, kind of what you just laid out is, okay, we want to come back, we want playoffs, and we want to do this, but uh, we're all on the same page there. But there are so many competing agendas of whose argument and whose best interest is going to win out when it comes to player or teams who don't care anymore, uh, teams who are at the top at the top one or two in their conference, the Lakers and the Bucks, of course, come to mind. Uh, it would be incredibly unfair for Dallas at 40 and 27 to get lumped in with a play in tournament with teams like San Antonio and Sacramento, who are multiple games below 500. Uh, and, you know, th- this is th- that to me is all of the tricky aspect of it is there's about a half dozen or more um, on and big picture competing agendas here that they're going to have to work out. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, not not to put hockey on the same you know forefront as uh, as the NBA. Obviously, it's it's not. But I think the star power thing and the singular talent thing in the NBA is such a big deal because none of us want to see Luca or Ja out of the playoffs. But we all do kind of seemingly, or at least intrigued by the idea of a team in New Orleans whose ten games are, I guess, eight games under five hundred, having a shot given the way that they were playing. Uh, you know, the last 20, 25 games before things shut down. And it also highlights yet again, and I don't know how this is in hockey. Don't ask me. Uh, but the conference imbalance this year makes this tricky as well, right? Because nobody's looking at the seven seed uh, in the East and saying, well, you're the same as even the nine seed uh, or for sure the eight seed in the West. So again, I go back to the idea. It's going to be really weird if you end up with Western conference and Eastern conference teams playing in the playoffs. And I think that leads us to another, something that seems like a tired head thing on the horizon. And it's going to seem like an iceberg when we get there, which is the asterisk argument argument. Like that's going to become a big deal. And it's probably going to come down to who wins it as to how big that asterisk is. Um, I've sort of already run myself through the mental exercise of, well, what if the, what if the Mavericks get hot and KP retains his, you know, his recent form and there's an injury or something like that. And the Mavericks win, how is that going to be viewed by the rest of the league? And I would say probably, uh, like half of a regular title. Now we're not going to look at it that way, but that sets us up and a few other teams probably to argue about the validity of that championship for years to come. Yeah, I think the question on the on the asterisk issue is is an important one because one, I've been a proponent of of playing some regular season games and getting to everybody getting to an even number, say seventy two. Right now, every team has played between sixty four and sixty seven games. The Mavericks are at sixty seven, so every team would play between five and eight games. Uh, that doesn't seem to be where the the wind is blowing and bringing back all thirty teams. Um, I think if you adhere to what has traditionally happened with eight teams in the West playing each other versus eight teams in the East, and they just have the regular seven-game series and they go, the asterisk argument diminishes because all you've taken away are fans and travel. You still played mano a mano on the court uh, fully in the playoffs with no gimmicks and how you got there. Um, If you start all this receding World Cup-style play-ins, then 
I think you can't help but have asterisk conversations, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, the, the closer they get to traditional, the less uh, disputed whatever title will be. But I also think they have to balance that they want the best basketball and kind of, again, the most star power as quickly as possible. And no one is excited for the return. Well, I mean, we would be, but a lot of people would not be just super excited to see the magic, for example. Right. But if you can throw uh, Dame and CJ out there, if Dame plays, if they had a play-in tourney, which he would, uh, or Zion, then all of a sudden you've added a little bit more you know, luster to that return. And I think that's something that they do kind of have to consider because the casual fan, I think, is going to be more important now maybe than it's ever been, you know? I mean – especially if baseball can't figure their stuff out and uh, you have people that would never casually watch hockey. I think we have to consider too, that no matter who's playing, the basketball might be kind of bad for a little bit um, relative to what we're seeing from normal NBA teams. I mean, three, three and a half months off is, is unprecedented, right? From full, I mean, even in a, a summer that's, that just does not happen. It probably hasn't happened in any of these players, adult or even teenage lives. Um, so, I think that's kind of something they have to balance is do we need to kind of get guys you've heard of in here um, possibly by sacrificing more deserving in a traditional format teams with guys you haven't heard of. You did bring up something kind of interesting, by the way, and I wanted this was I was about to ask you that when you heard uh, Damian Lillard say, uh, if we don't have a legitimate chance to get into the playoffs and I'm not going to play, I'll go and support my teammates because I'm a team guy, but I'm not going to play in the games. Uh, obviously, it certainly sounds like that there are other teams that are out of the mix that really, you know, probably some of their players don't want to come back and get ready for four or five games. And teams at this point don't want to improve their record because that would uh, uh, debilitate their lottery prospects, obviously, although that's not quite the same as it was in the past. It's a little bit different now. But but curious for uh, Jake's basketball mind to jump in the mind of some of these other players that we're talking about that seem pretty reticent to play unless it's under a certain set of circumstances. Well, I mean, they've sort of laid the groundwork by the way that things have worked over the past few years where it's, it, you know, Aaron Harrison played 48 minutes for the Mavericks a couple years ago in game 82. True. Um, so it's not entirely unheard of in this sport for guys to sit down the stretch, when especially veterans and big name veterans, if their team is eliminated. You know, but I on one hand, I appreciate Dame's honesty. On the other, I might tell him like uh you understand that you're all kind of taking a risk by being at these games and by traveling already and if you are asked to play five games and even if that means that your chance to to make the playoffs is the same as it was before which is zero the Blazers haven't had a great path to the playoffs for some time now um you know I hate to be you know, rock flag and eagle guy, but I might just ask you to suck it up for a couple of weeks if you're already okay with being there. If you're already okay with making the travel and being in the bubble and assuming that risk, which is a risk, then playing five games, I don't think, and you're going to get paid. Uh, I don't think, I think that's a really bad look if you say, well, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not injured. I don't really need the rest. I've been off for three months now. Uh, I, like I said, I appreciate the honesty, which he's never been short on. But I, I think that's a really, really bad message to send to fans to just say, yeah, I don't want to play. I don't need rest. I don't. And then I think the other part of it is I think there are teams that, you know, I think Travis Schlink has said this, but I think there are teams like the Hawks that probably want to play because their players need time together. And I think that's appealing. So I don't know if there's some way that the league could protect lottery positioning uh, to entice teams to come back, but if that was something that could if that was a you know a carrot that could get people to to move along a little bit and and get everybody back in i think that would be that would be something i think i would be interested in so the end result of what all is going to happen here of course is that basketball is going to stretch out until sometime presumably in september if not maybe even late into september or early october which means that puts us in position for uh, start of the 2020-2021 season in Christmas, uh, and then carrying over, they can shorten the season and obviously try to end it at a normal time, or they can get on this idea of 
play it from Christmas to August, and next year it could then springboard into doing that on a full-time basis. So that's an idea that I like. I have not heard you. Uh, if you have weighed in on, this, on, your, on your show, I've missed it. So I'm curious on your take of if this were used as a means to facilitate a full-time NBA calendar running from Christmas to August, what does Basketball Jake think about that? Oh man, I love it. I don't, I don't, I haven't been able to find this podcast or this article, but many, many years ago, a guy who works for uh, ESPN now, Brian Burke, he is the father of modern football analytics. And he used to have a podcast on his website that ran before he was at ESPN called Advanced Football Analytics, and he would do a weekly podcast. And he had an, uh, an academic on who, and if you want to, if you really want to look into why some people think that academia is a waste of time, this guy had spent the last couple years of his research reorganizing the sports calendar. <laughs> and that was his whole goal wow. was to was to maximize uh, you know, you TV party. money. Hey, but look, if you want to uh, among the things that academics might spend two years spending their time on, you'd have you'd be hard pressed to find something that the general American male would care about more than finding a way for us to not have to choose between because I actually love playoff hockey. Um, and I don't love that sometimes you have to choose between uh, maybe uh, an Eastern Conference series that you don't care as much about or or the Stars, for example, an Eastern Conference basketball series. So it never really made sense to me that we have such a long stretch where baseball is the only sport. Um, if you could somehow work it to where you never had to choose between – college football in the NBA. I think that would be cool. Uh, you could start the ESPN Saturday night package right at the start of the season, as opposed to, you know, after the new year. So dude, you, I could not sign up for that fast enough. Now, I certainly don't want to say that it would be worth it to go through this or anything like that. But if that's a reorganization that becomes permanent, uh, I think that's something the league would benefit tremendously from. And I think the popular, the popularity of the league would, uh, would certainly see an uptick if, if it were not competing with other sports uh, at the same time, particularly during its postseason. Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that if you have not been to the MIT Sports Analytics Conference in Boston, uh, which they have every year in March, uh, you would be in heaven if you were listening to advanced football analytics podcasts a few years ago. Yeah, I think he's been a regular attendee, Brian Burke. He, he usually has a has a panel or as a guest almost every year. Yeah, if you if you just go through and scroll through some of the research papers that the students do, you would be amazed at some of the topics that are uh, thrown out there. And yes, you would be in absolute geek heaven. <laughs> um, but one of the things I did learn from uh, great Mavericks owner Mark Cuban in, in my years working for him in the business world is one of his mantras is don't do something just because that's the way it's always been done. And I think that kind of leads to what you were just talking about in terms of, I think we get into habits of the schedule was the schedule because, you know, people take vacations in July and don't watch as much television over the air. And they just didn't have the guts to um, kind of question that or try it. And I think that's what this little, bubble experiment gives you is listen let's if you're if you're gonna try things different than the norm then just throw everything up against the wall that you've always wanted to try whether that's one through 16 seating or play-ins or whatever it is uh and just see how it works because it could be that you've found something interesting uh to move forward with yeah, and I think that that obviously you're right about the TV consumption habit um, of, of of old, but it really is of old now, right? I, I don't I don't know that there's like you know a tremendous dip in the summer anymore, and a lot of people probably twenty and, and under watch games on their phone, even if they are on vacation with their family. Heck, I mean sometimes I'll do it if if you know if, if you're out somewhere and you're like I can't get in front of a TV, so. Yeah, that seems based on somewhat of an archaic understanding of of entertainment consumption. And and for me, the one through 16 thing and maybe I'm falling into exactly what I just said, that that pitfall. But I do think there's something to and maybe I'm living in the 80s and 90s too much because we just watched a ton of 80s and 90s basketball content. But I I think there's something to protecting the East West one through 16 thing, at least in the top four. Now, I don't know how it shakes out after that. And I, I am constantly annoyed by, you know, the Eastern Conference uh, 
somewhat being the, uh, the 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 block in Congress to get this done because every Western Conference team would vote for this. Um, but you know, it even though the, the you know the Mavericks and Lakers never had a series before uh, the series in 2011 with Dirk and Kobe both on the team, it did kind of feel like a little bit of a rivalry. And obviously, Lakers Spurs and Mavs Spurs, and and then to go back to watching the Celtics and Pistons and and the Bulls and the Pistons and the Bulls and the Knicks, I. I don't know. I still think that the United States, no matter how we consume our television, is regionalized enough to where I don't think I'm on team. Let's completely throw uh, conference seating when it comes to the playoffs out. I don't know if there's a way to sort of walk a middle ground or not. And this time they're probably going to have to do it no matter what in some form or fashion. But I think I'm now uh, old man enough to where I I don't want to lose all of my rivalries the same way that I might have seven years ago. And I looked at this and just thought. This is basically not fair. There is something funny in my mind now to your point about the Eastern Conference teams being the block in Congress. And since we just saw the the last dance and now Michael Jordan in his role as the owner of the Charlotte Hornets reading out of the telephone book for a filibuster. So they can't hold a but vote. But I thought he was the so. ultimate competitor and didn't, and didn't play for lottery picks. Wait a second. A. Poland is reading out of the phone book and reading out of the Bible just to take up time. So there's a filibuster so they can't have yeah. to vote on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that, is a, that is a funny visual. Now, this is going to be a weird visual, by the way, or, and, and, and an audio uh, and visual both perspective of how these games are going to be televised. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I've said and I said this when Bob and Corby asked me on the ticket about it a few weeks ago that that I think at this point there's really no bad ideas on on the surface. Let's try things and uh, they may not be worth anything once you put them into to practicality as they sound about when you're just talking about them. But let's try some things. And of course, one of the things I saw you say you didn't like it the other morning. Uh, there was a lot of chatter about it uh, amongst people I follow because it's soccer Twitter. And that is that they were pumping in crowd sounds. Uh, during the world feed of Bundesliga games that were on the other day. So uh, as it relates to how we'll telecast our games, I'm curious for your thoughts on clearly we're going to be facing some unique challenges. I think you're a guy that's pretty in tune with this aspect of it. Uh, What your general thoughts are on the TV broadcast challenges of what we're going to be looking at. Well, the first weekend that I watched uh, Bundesliga, I didn't hear any piped in crowd noise. And while I don't understand any of the languages uh, that are being spoken on the on <laughs> on the pitch, Brian, <laughs> uh, <right>. good man, <laughs> I still I still thought it was really cool that You're I could hear what they were saying. <laughs> I did, boy, it's on the way. It should be here in uh, about three days from uh, from overseas. Can't wait to see the uh, picture, buddy. I can't wait to see it. Oh, you another one to the coach. <laughs> so I think it's it's cool in theory to see to you know to hear what guys are saying. Um, but then Mark Stein told us this afternoon on the ticket that actually in Germany, or I guess maybe in you know maybe in all of Europe, I'm not sure. They actually give fans an option of whether or not they want to hear it because the noise is actually not being piped into the stadium. It's only being piped into the TV feed. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I guess I wasn't paying a cl- like close enough attention to tell that I could also kind of hear the players a little bit louder than I should have, even though there was crowd noise. So that's an interesting option to me. Um, sort of a like an SAP type option where you can say, all right, I'd like to hear it. I'd like to not hear it. I'd like to hear this. I'd like to not hear it. Um, with NBA players, I would be fascinated to hear uh, what goes on on an NBA floor, whether it's the trash talk, whether it's talking to officials. Um, but let's just be real about this also. Um, and I got into a, a little bit of a debate with, with Dan McDowell on the show about this the other day, just that he's like, Oh, you're telling me that they could just, they, they couldn't just not curse if you told them not to. And I'm like, dude, these guys have been playing basketball one way for 20, 25, 30 years of their life. And it is the peak of their competitiveness. And it, they've never been told necessarily, Hey, shh, why you do this. And so yeah. I do think there's a little bit of a risk if they just gave it to you unfiltered that you might end up hearing some things that you would probably have to just kind of look the other way on and say, look, sure. these are, as we all know, unprecedented times. I don't know that I want to just judge this guy like he tweeted this when he's saying it in the heat of the moment in uh, in a competitive atmosphere. So I don't know about you follow up. You have to if it would just be a longer delay if there's 
because uh, you can tell the players all day long, please don't say this. The first time, you know, Luca will probably. Yeah, OK, let's say the first time Luca gets fouled in the 10th second of the first game and he doesn't agree with it. Uh, now, his may be in another language, but I still think guys who are vocal are probably still going to be vocal. And I'm not sure that there's much of a way around that. And he's definitely learned how to uh, be vocal in, in uh, English swearing as well. Luca, has, okay. Uh, okay. he's definitely he's definitely very capable of that. I can promise you that. I, I've heard instances of that. But but, you know, look, you could certainly do the delay thing, um, you know. I think one thing from the NBA perspective, this is more just my opinion, and I guess I'm going to bounce it off you guys and see what you think about it. Uh, Presumably, these games that are going to be played at Disney, the environments are going to look probably a lot like a practice gym. They're not going to look like a big arena. So therefore, you or if you've ever seen if you've ever seen Summer League in Orlando. Yeah. I mean, that's the same gym I imagine that they'll be in. And that's a small that's a small gym. Yes. Relative to what you're used to seeing. It's a high school. It's a high school size gym. Yeah. So so you. You eliminate the the issue of the Bundesliga that you had in the first week whenever the world feed wasn't pumping in crowd noise for people to hear because that's a cavernous stadium where sound is bouncing and echoing around. So I understand why they did that, and I thought it I thought it enhanced the broadcast some. But from a from a basketball perspective, you're not going to have a big environment where you're facing the the reverberation issue. Two, uh, I, I don't see any reason why you couldn't. Bring a DJ in. I mean, you need to keep, you know, obviously need to limit personnel as much as possible, but somebody in to play the music and sound effects that you would hear during a normal NBA game. Have a PA announcer. Yeah, yeah, have a PA announcer. And the other thing, too, I would add is, and I've said this to Bob and Corby, Jake, when I was on with those guys, is that that if you've ever seen at an NBA practice, a team practice, when they when they play five on five, there's an incredible amount of noise and energy there. There is chatter amongst the players on the floor, whether that's trash talking or whether that's communicating with one another, that's encouraging one another, that's getting pissed off at one another, that's guys around the floor that are also doing the same sort of things, encouraging, yelling at the referees, coaches are doing things, people are clapping. There is a tremendous amount of energy in an NBA five-on-five team setting. And I think if you've got everybody, I, I think that that would be really unique to, to hear that, and I think that games in this situation would provide its own energy. So, again, that's not really a question as much as it's uh, me kicking it out there for table talk right now. What do you think, Jake? I, I would love to hear it. I just I just don't want anybody to get in trouble. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. I just I just think that there's a there's a way that you talk that those guys talk in that setting that maybe if it's practice. It's the same spectrum, but it's further slid over on that spectrum if it's the NBA Finals and we're in an Orlando Disney World arena. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about legacies on the line and maybe guys are even more amped up because they feel like this is a, you know, almost a once in a lifetime type thing that they're being you know called to do this. And I just I just am a little bit I, I don't want anybody to be judged harshly for doing something right now that if they had done four months ago, people would have just said, well, you know, you don't hear it, right? Like you don't hear it unless you're sitting right next to the floor, but I, you cannot sign me up fast enough for getting to hear more of how players communicate and interact and joke and encourage and trash talk and get on their, you know, their own teammates with, with, with joking trash talk. I mean, really, the only loss here was that we won't be able to hear Dirk <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and the uh, some of the, the, you know, snide comments that that, you know, Dirk's trash talk from what I gather and, and encouragement was a little bit more dark comedy, if you will, than than your traditional uh, NBA trash talk, a little bit more obscure. So I. I I love it. I, you can't sign me up fast enough, man. I, I would pay for that, to be honest with you. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of what uh, of the golf match, the match two that took place this Sunday. But the part that I was a fan of was more access. And uh, you got, you know, a, a lot more of this with, uh, you know, minor, not minor league, but spring training baseball was doing it before they shut down. I heard Mickelson say today that he would be open to it going forward. So if more access to what happens between the lines is one of the byproducts from the presentation standpoint of what we're going through, then I, I would be all over that. And I do think over time, if they had to, the players could get used to it, but I don't know if you just fired things back up in a month and a half that they would. Well, I guess my main concern really is, how can we kind of virtually via Zoom uh, do the uh, engagements that are in arena? 
you know, or maybe somebody <laughs> oh, yeah. in their homes. And also, oh, yeah. you know, we've got to have the halftime shows. We've got to, you know, zoom in Red Panda from uh, Parts Unknown. Uh, maybe you, gotta have, you have to have the Expo Week, uh, Expo week halftime shot. <laughs> yes. Or a halftime shot, yeah, for the... I think maybe Champ, you know, replacing Falwell for a quarter um, on the broadcast, something like that. Remember when I fatigues. said there are no bad ideas? That's a bad idea. Yep. <laughs> That's the first one. Found it. Those Found are the things it. that keep me up at night. Let me talk to you um, uh, briefly, and this is kind of the last thing I'll have. I don't know if Falwell has anything else. We know you did seven hours of radio today, so we should have let you go at some point. But uh, competitively speaking, the Mavs have a, a young team. You know, their two superstars are young. Um, a lot of the role players, you know, Brunson, who could be back from his injury. Uh, do you see a bit of advantage having a young team as opposed to a veteran team in terms of uh, getting back into shape quicker and bouncing back uh, from this kind of weird layoff? So a couple things. Obviously, Luca was dealing with a little something for, for like a month before uh, before things shut down on March 11th. So your your main chess piece would benefit from it tremendously. I think... The biggest wild card is obviously KP because, you know, we all looked at that month or, you know, five week sample, say for a couple games right before they shut down is like, OK, it's here. The two man game was here. The reads were quicker. Uh, his efficiency after, you know, a couple dribbles was better. Uh, it just all looked and flowed so much better. And it looked like he was really a part of the offense while retaining a lot of the defensive ability that he had before. And with him, you know, it's a, it's an ultimate unknown because I don't really think it, it was health concerns at all, even from game one. I think it was just getting acclimated, getting the feel, uh, finding his spots. And none of us really know how that would pick up if they started playing tomorrow or even if they practiced and, you know, did five on five for a month at the facilities, uh, if they, they, they do start five on five tomorrow, or I guess that could be today whenever you hear this, I'm not sure. Um, but I think he was the biggest wild card in what could the Mavericks do, uh, in the postseason in regular times, right? Like, I think if he's doing what he was doing for five weeks before they shut down, they would have to be one of your biggest picks for an upset um so i think he's the biggest wild card having a young team you know i could see that going one of two ways uh they also have the least amount of playoff experience of a lot of the teams that are going to be you know in that in that possibly in that table in the western conference outside of maybe oklahoma city and memphis um but the other thing is, is this is not the old NBA where teams stayed together for year after year after year and had a ton of time together. I mean, really, how much basketball have the have the Clippers played together this year? Not no. much. Yeah, not much. Yeah, and really none before this year. Uh, and you could say the same thing. I guess really maybe about Oklahoma City, but teams like that, you know, they. They're, I would say, at somewhat of in, even a disadvantage because they don't have four or five years of continuity. And it makes me think, I wonder if a team like the Bucks or like the Raptors or like the Celtics would be in a better position to just get up and go because they're really not in year one of their project like some of these other teams, even the Lakers uh, might be, who haven't played just a ton of basketball with all their players healthy this year. So, uh, look, Luka being healthy would be your main thing, right? And then the elephant in the room that nobody has mentioned yet because it's very uncomfortable to mention, and this somewhat plays into the asterisk thing, is just – what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it if someone on your team catches the virus? And if the proposals to play all include the understanding that we're not just going to shut down when the first guy gets it, maybe not when the 10th guy gets it. Uh, if it's still isolated cases where these guys, you know, everyone else has been tested and, you know, it hasn't spread throughout their team or throughout their organization. That is a complete unknown that I'm not sure that anybody alive has ever dealt with in sports. Nobody has. Uh, I think that the answer to it is I would model it after what's happening elsewhere. And so the examples of that basically are in the case of the Bundesliga, although there is one team that in the second division 
that didn't start last week and isn't going to start until I think they actually are maybe going to play their first game later this week, but they had three players test. So they put the entire team into 14 day self-isolation, but basically uh, in the Bundesliga at this point, they're testing people once a week. And if uh, players tested positive, they'll be, they're not going to disclose who it is, but they'll be put into self-isolation and, and you'll keep on moving. And, and I would, I would assume that you would probably have to craft some sort of plan that would follow after what's being modeled elsewhere i would guess right yeah it's just it would be if the team's already started playing and all of a sudden a guy misses two weeks of games you know that's sure that's just that's just such a dystopian thing to think about is that okay you know we're used to guys getting injuries that we see and we can internalize that and say well i've seen a guy who had a uh, a nagging calf injury before have to be shut down but if you know, all of a sudden you snap your fingers and they say player X is not going to be available for the rest of this bubble run. And that I mean, that's a change in competitive balance at the snap of a finger that it's really kind of tough to wrap your head around until you see it. We just we haven't. And a series could change the drop of a dime like that. Now, I guess that could happen with a regular freak injury, too. It's just that in this sport, they don't happen that often. Um, so, you know, I guess you just hope for for safety and you hope for. Uh, games that are unaffected by that because that's really the way that you'll be able to enjoy this as an escape. If the postseason and the return is marred by, oh, well, this team, well, they would have been a favorite, but now they're not because this player uh, is sick now, you're not going to be able to treat this as an escape, uh, even once the ball tips, at least in my mind. Well, you said that uh, you felt we're bringing it up, but I don't think you should at all because clearly it's going to have to be something that the league's going to have to address as they craft their plan for their return to play, obviously. So, uh, you know, it's certainly a good talking point. Your answer to Brian, Brian's question was good, and your answer to that was really good about how this all impacts the Mavs. And, and he said, we need to let you go, so we will. But I, I would like to say one final thing. You know, I did a podcast recently, and I said on that podcast, Jake, that there's a reason I do what I do, and there's a reason that all you guys at the ticket do what you do, do what you do, and, and you guys guys are just you know incredibly talented from a talk show host standpoint and i just I, I i would like to take a moment to tell you as we wind things down as somebody who's been listening during this incredibly weird and unique time uh especially in your case just getting moved into a full-time show host position so you're you're getting your your voice in that regard and you're working with the new partner that you've done this under these circumstances and the same for bob and corby and and their adjustments and what the entire station has done in terms of being a sports talk radio station that obviously goes beyond that but to be able to do it in this time when we don't really have much in the way of sports to talk about it and you guys haven't missed a beat and uh man i think that you deserve major kudos and a big pat on the back and i know i couldn't do it and so uh much love and much respect for what you're doing man man it means the world to me and and i would tell you uh the baby's asleep so i'm gonna be long-winded here because this is kind of important to me In a weird way, I think that the fact that it happened so fast, I mean, we started the show on February 11th and I was in studio with you guys talking about the shutdown of the league on March 11th. And it's not like there was, you know, football going on during that time, you know, or or a super, super busy time of the sports calendar. Anyways, I think the fact that it just happened so fast that we didn't really have time to think about it was was helpful. And then the other thing is uh, you just have to be fortunate that you have something to go to every day that makes you feel good. And I don't want to take that for granted because I know there's a lot of people that even if they've kept their same job, they're having to do it from home right now. They're having to teach kids who are in the, you know, the, the time in their lives that they really need schooling. I'm not in that spot. You know, I basically just uh, keep her from burning the house down. And that's considered a successful homeschool day. So people that that have to teach kids right now while doing their same job, while also doing it from home and the monotony that comes from that. I just feel so incredibly fortunate to have something that I go to every day that makes me feel good. And part of the reason that it makes me feel good is that people have been effusive in their praise of saying, hey, this is helping me right now. And I think that you will experience the same thing when the league comes back, whether you're calling the game from, you know, <laughs> the the facility or, uh, you know, Las Colinas or whatever. Right. Having people just tell you that you mean something to them during a time that is that is trying for everyone. It is a currency that you really cannot describe the value of. And I kind of hope that players, uh, and I guess this applies more to baseball, understand that. 
And maybe at a certain level, you don't need that whenever you've been incredibly successful like most NBA players have. And you haven't really you sign autographs and you talk to a, you know, a group of kids and, and it may mean something to you in the moment. But being a part of something that seemingly does mean something to people during a time like this, well, it means a lot to me. I'll just tell you that it means a ton to me. And it's, you know, why I get up in the morning. So as weird as the whole thing has been of starting whenever I started and having this happen when it happened. And I just think it goes to show one, the relationship we have with our audience and two, that, uh, you know, (laughs) people need something right now. And the fact that we can even be a small part of supplying that, I just, I feel so lucky to, to, to be a part of that. Yeah. And, and to piggyback on that, you know, I think one of the things I've really, you know, noticed is who has a lot of, uh, arrows in their quiver. You know, there, there are some people who are just such sports geeks, um, whether they be national writers or TV or ESPN talking heads that without sports, they, they literally have nothing else to talk about. They can't do it. And, and, you know, you guys, obviously the ticket has been that way for a while, but you have to, you have to do it individually as well. And as a team, um, you know, to be able to talk about other things and to be able to have this well-rounded, to be able to talk about documentaries or apps that help you sleep or whatever it is. I think that is such a, a value. And, and I just look at some of the people, you know, I won't mention him, but you know, major NBA guy that, you know, uh, uh, one of the pundits that just, you know, he's still breaking down film and it's like, what, what are you doing? I don't really care about this right now. Like, don't you have anything else you can give us? And, and I think that, that is such a, a huge asset that, that you and, and the whole team there has. Look, we've always said, and even before I was working there as a listener, that the value is we want it to sound like your friends. Well, what if you can't see your friends and you can't really talk to your friends? Well, if we can still be there, then it does provide you with some level of that communal uh, communal uh, experience. And I just I'm getting that, too, by being able to go in and do it every day. So it's been huge for me. And uh you know, even just sitting here talking to you guys tonight, it's 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 a huge, huge positive for for the mental state of a lot of people. And I would include myself in that. Well, I don't think we should underestimate the plight of the single guy either who is just sitting there in his recliner and, uh, you know, eating a bag of chips and scrolling through Tinder. Uh, you know, you want a baby? Hasn't felt the touch of a woman in three months. No. Oh, uh, no. And I can't say coming over to Brian's Brian's condo, he does have a recliner. That is uh, that is very much true, as a matter of fact. He's, and he's chips. The re- and, and the chips. Uh, I only get water out of a red Solo cup in, from his refrigerator. Because I don't want to. Here. I can't vouch for this. My chips, dishwasher so. hasn't worked in two years. That's why. So. <laughs> But listen, I hope that the three of us can uh, join together and play off post-game shows uh, very soon. And uh, we appreciate you joining us today. I'm looking forward to it, fellas. Thank you so much. Good to hear from Jake after a while. Mm-hmm. It and was indeed. Uh, interesting to hear his perspective on starting things. Um, and speaking you- of starting things. Were you surprised at anything that he had to say in terms of uh, kind of where his head at in terms of preferred, uh, you know, plans or seatings or anything like that? No, not really. Um, you know, I think at this point, uh, I'll, you know, once we see what the plan is, um, you know, then will there be a little bit more to say and to break down on it? But I thought, uh, you know, Jake brought up all kinds of good points. There are a lot of competing agendas here, and this is not going to be easy for the NBA. Uh, I know how much everybody wants the NBA back. I know how much the league wants to come back. But there are difficult challenges ahead of them. Now, clearly, the good news is, is by and large part, players and and ownership and the commissioner are all on the same page. Uh, whereas, you know, there's a chasm that's developed between baseball owners and baseball players in terms of getting their sport back on the field. Uh, but nothing, nothing really surprising uh, came out of what Jake had to say. Um, like I said, I think at this point, there's validity in all sorts of ideas. So, you know, let's start throwing some more of them against the wall, put some storyboards up and and figure out what the map for the rest of the season is. One caveat, though, is that, you know, the the tough financial conversations in terms of basically redoing the CBA Mm -hmm. haven't occurred yet. And those conversations are going to have to occur Mm -hmm. because, you know, free agency, salary cap, all of that is affected by by the massive drop in revenues plus the China stuff. And, you know, there's no guarantee fans are going to be allowed back in the stands for the beginning of next season. True. So 
you know, I, I think what the what the league is doing is saying, let's get the competitive discussion going. Let's restart the league. And then, you know, we've got a little bit of runway till the fall to hammer out the financial ramifications of what that means. But those are going to be some some tough conversations. That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, that probably speaks to the benefit and why he said it when Adam Silver did have, I think, a pretty direct, frank dialogue in a conference call with as many players that wanted to jump on it that happened probably about we're two or three weeks now in the rearview mirror on that. But he basically looked at, said that, uh, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic and relating issues for the NBA will be the greatest challenge of our life. Uh, in terms of what it's going to mean for the business model. And to be perfectly honest with you, it's hard to argue. I mean, I, there's certainly nothing uh, since the league took off in the way that it did in the early 80s. Uh, there's nothing that's even in the conversation for uh, challenges and difficulties that the league has had to face. So where are we right now in terms of the latest breaking news, uh, uh, the whispers in terms of, of the meetings that are going on this week? Board of Governors meeting or Board of Governors call, uh, not not meeting, but call uh, is going to be on. You think Friday. they have the Zoom issues that we have, where there's a baby <laughs> crying, or uh, you know, uh, uh, or they only have the forty minute version of Zoom, and the host has to extend the minute, has to extend the meeting. Yeah, or Tillman Fertitta can't, you know, uh, he, he didn't hit the mute button, or <laughs> Tillman, mute, mute yourself. Come on, man. Uh, Oh, they probably have their own unique issues, I, I, I would assume. So, uh, but the Board of Governors will talk on Friday. Um, you know, from what I've seen this week, uh, including reports from the Athletics' own and Stadium's own Sham Sharania, uh, that that you know, I, I don't know that everything is going to be worked out then. But uh, at least there will be some groundwork laid for what the next phase is going to look like, like, you know, the, the calling players back that have been overseas and what they're envisioning in terms of what the next phase of, of further opening of facilities will look like in terms of how much work will be allowed. So that seems like that's kind of where we are. There's, there's clearly momentum headed towards a restart uh, because the NBA themselves confirmed as of uh, even though the reports were out there before then, but the NBA confirmed Saturday afternoon that they were in exploratory talks. So for the NBA to call it publicly exploratory talks, clearly it's more than, you know, when I think of exploratory, I think their talks have been something with much greater Your exploratory talks depth. is asking a girl out. Theirs <laughs> is uh, the paperwork's been I, drawn up. When I was single anyway. Yeah. <laughs> their, yeah, their exploratory talks are a lot farther down the line. So, And I think the reason Vegas yeah. was taken off the table in that is uh, Vegas is reopening and it's going to be harder to isolate between the fans and the players in that kind of environment when, and you've, you've done games at, at where they're proposing to do those games in Orlando and that, yes, that, that's yeah. an isolated area. That's not like right in the middle of, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse is not walking by an Epcot center. Yes. Uh, having done junior NBA games for Fox sports for the last two years, they've had a, the junior NBA global championships, a new, their, their, their answer to the little league world series and the NBA's entry into grassroots basketball and I mean, there's there's an incredible facility there uh, for basketball, and there's uh, presumably other buildings that they could turn into other courts there. At the, so, is at there the just one court, one arena court? Oh no, the, I mean that the, the the facility that they have that hosts basketball, Brian has four, I believe. Yeah, it has four courts where games could be going on simultaneously. And other courts for practices and things of that nature? Yeah. and, and Or I other know, spaces that could be converted? Yeah, I, I think that would be other buildings and other spaces that have to be converted for the practice facilities. But if, look, in theory, if they wanted to, and, you know, I don't know if they would want to do this, but they could technically have four games going on at once because I have seen that go down during junior NBA, uh, two years ago, especially four games. At once. Now these are, they courts. did it differently this past year. They did it with, they just had three courts rather than four courts in this big building, but are still these essentially high have, school gyms kind of size. Well, it's, it's, uh, imagine an, an NBA, a close to NBA. Well, no, probably not that big, but, but at least a, uh, a collegiate size arena. That's one half of it has a court on the floor and then you have the lower, the the other half of the lower floor has locker rooms, referee dressing rooms, 
uh, executive offices, et cetera, et cetera. And then on top of that, you have like a, it's like a split level kind of, kind of look like, like one half of it is only one floor. The other half of the building is a two tiered structure where on the lower half, you have all the things I just noted. And on the upper half, you have two courts that are regulation courts that have like just a, a handful of bleachers on each side. So, so they're even, you know, they're even smaller than what you would see for a high school gym in terms of what you had for if there were going to be fans crowd capacity. I mean, you only have the capacity. So it's to put it's a not as people there, compact but. as a practice facility where you're just up against a wall. Um, on those upstairs courts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. on the baselines you are. Okay. For sure. Yeah. On, on the baselines you would be, you would be up against a wall. Uh, now these, the, this campus setting, this is isolated. In other words, the NBA would be the only people housed in, are these hotels kind of off the resort to where they could have it to themselves? Well, the, the two times I've been down there, one year we stayed at Swan and Dolphin is, is the name of it. And I mean, it's, it's not, it's, there's, there's other, like there's a boardwalk and there's other venues that are, there's other restaurants and other hotels that are very close by. And then one year it was, gosh, I forgot what the name of Coronado Springs was the, was the resort. And that's got, you know, that's, that, that's got some other facilities right next to it. So to answer your question, I mean, I, I can't give you like a perfect layout of what's down there, but it certainly seem, seems to me like there's enough, there's enough hotels and facilities there that they could take a chunk of it and isolate it pretty well. Uh, but it also sounds to me like based on what I'm hearing that it was really, it, it's an untenable position to basically say that these players and whoever comes with them, families, et cetera, have to be totally quarantined within this environment for... They can for, go to the Raincourse Cafe or for, Bed Bath & Beyond <laughs> or something like that. It, it seems like, yeah, that, that that was something that the players weren't willing to do for two or three months. So there's going to be at least some freedom of movement. Now, what that how extensive that's going to be and what is going to be required upon reentry into the campus environment. Clearly we don't know that yet, but uh, you know, if, if anybody's thinking that it's a, you know, a, a genuinely uh, you know, I think I heard Mark on the ticket say Mark Cuban last week, hotel California, uh, you know, you like can a check, motel. Yeah. You can, you can check <laughs> you in check anytime in, you, you like, but out. you can never leave. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily going to be that restrictive. Um, but there will be peer pressure, I think from, players, you know, saying, Hey, you know, we're in the playoffs. I know you probably want to get a cheesecake or something, but (laughs) at cheesecake factory, but let's, you know, let's be smart. Maybe just go downstairs and, you know, hang or something. And so I think that'll aid things, but, uh, in, in, in advance of all of that, you've got to have training camps. You've got to have unofficial practices. You got to open a practice facility, and the Mavs have made some news now in that area. Yes, they have. So I believe that the Mavs, as of Thursday, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night. So tomorrow, they will be either the twenty second or twenty third team to reopen their practice facility. I believe they were the twenty third and the twenty fourth, which I can't remember announced right after them. Okay, so so we're getting to almost all 30 teams having their practice facilities reopen. Now, let us revisit what that means, because I do think that's important to remind everyone that that is a soft reopening or a reopening where extremely limited use would be the way I would characterize what you're going to be able to do there. So it's four players at a time, uh, they can't be playing two on two or one on one. It's one player at a basket. There can't be any head. Co- there, the head coach can't be there. There can't be assistant coach participation. There can be player development coach participation, but you know that has to all be uh, within appropriate physical distancing guidelines, et cetera. So uh, this is you know very very limited use of the pr- practice facility, and I think you know to be honest with you, that probably you know along with his safety concerns, I, I think that's why safety won out for the Mavs here. It's just like, you know, the, you know, we want to Is keep everybody safe and we already have players on a program and the, the reopening that we're talking about here is so limited that there's not like the other teams are going to be establishing some sort of competitive advantage over us because their practice gyms are open relative to ours. Uh, as you and I know, cause we've talked to Casey Smith and talked to Mark both about it. Uh, the Mavs have put together extensive plans 
uh, and communication that happens, uh, video conferencing, phone calls, texting, and an app uh, that is able to monitor what their workout plans are. So the Mavs have been uh, on top of everything to the degree that you can be during this in terms uh, in terms of keeping players in shape as realistically as much as you possibly can, which clearly there are limitations to it. So the good news is of reopening is a guy like Maxi Kleba, who I've done a couple of uh, charity-based Zoom calls with where he's doing like some exclusive Q&As. We did something with Carter Blood Care. We did something with a, with an organization called Hope Kids, who's uh, it's a bit like kind of a Make-A-Wish Foundation. And we've done these limited Q&As with people in a, in a group Zoom call. And one of the things that he said in that and one of those calls was Are those kids there for you or Maxi for, for Maxi. Okay. Yes. Help kids is an organization that, that uh, he works quite closely with and does, you know, wonderful things for. And, uh, you know, he said in that call that I haven't shot a basketball since March, since March 11th. He's one of those guys who lives in an, an apartment in Uptown. So, um, you know, for guys like that, that's really where the benefit is going to be is to get in a gym and start right. doing something that is real basketball related, not just, uh, things to keep your body in condition and cardio and weightlifting and kettlebell workouts, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems as though the the guidelines, once everything's decided, you know, next week by the NBA, um, that they will then advance to, you know, the whole team can probably be there at once, have some organized, semi-organized team activities mm-hmm. in June. Yep. And then at some point, mid to late June, have a official training camp, which will, you know, basically take all the precautions, so to speak, off, not health-wise, but in terms of who can be in there and that kind of thing, and then go to the bubble campus in Orlando to have, you know, some training there and then start the season. That's kind of the the timeline. And I think what you need to do is, is alert, have that kind of set. And you heard Michelle Roberts of the Players Association say, we need to get some clarity because there are players like Kristaps and Luca who need to know when to come back. They're overseas. Right. And there's going to be a 14-hour quarantine for them yep. that they're going to have to deal with. Yep. And I don't think anybody should worry about, you know, the government has said they will be allowed back in. They're going to be, you know, green lighted and VIP through. So there's no worry yep. about them being stuck overseas. Matter of fact, Shams had uh, some news about that today that uh, the government has announced that very thing that, right. uh, that uh, let's see if I can, if I can find that real quick here. Yes. NBA players and staff. This is from Shams uh, on Wednesday at three fifty two central time. NBA players and staff who are currently outside the U S will be allowed to reenter the U S by a new U S department of Homeland security issue. Prior travel restrictions existed due to coronavirus pandemic. So, so there you go. So people will be able to get back, but they will, as you said, yeah. have a 14-day quarantine that, upon that's, return. That is self-quarantine in their, in their homes, but then they'll have to go back to the old way of, of virtual workouts and that kind of thing before. So we're really looking at, you know, the Mavs as a group getting together, you know, the earliest would be in the middle of June. Yeah, June 15th, but 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 you know, it may not even be it may not even be then. It might be a little bit after that. I mean, it it, it certainly seems like that the the plan that they have, we keep hearing late July and everything that you just said points to yes, that that sometime after, you know, whatever you want to call late July, we all probably have different definitions of that to some varying degree, but sometime after the 15th, you know. Uh and then then Depending on who, how many teams come in and what their plan is and how many regular season games, uh, then it puts them on target for a uh, 1st of October finish. I don't think you can finish much later than that if you're going to start the year next season at Christmas. You know? And I think that, you know, we, we talked about it with Jake. There's a lot of different scenarios up in the air. And hopefully after the Board of Governors meeting Friday, uh, we'll see some, some leaks through the press of what uh, was kind of circled. I, don't, I think Cuban said, you know, expect... 10 days from, you know, this week as more official word, you won't Mm -hmm. get official word on the first, but an idea of, you know, um, will it be 30 teams? Will there be a plan? You know, and obviously the Mavs are kind of in the heart of that discussion because they're in seventh, they're firmly in seventh, but if you're going to have a plan that might involve the the seventh team, an interesting note about seeding or reseeding is that they would play, 
the Clippers in either scenario. Yeah, I did see that. Yes, if, if, by seeding or reseeding, you mean 16, uh, one to sixteen through via, you know, either conference. Yeah, either two seven in the West or four thirteen through as either it stands conference. now. As it stands, I did, I did notice that. And uh, obviously, in my humble opinion, I would like to see the Mavs get away from having to play the Clippers initially, uh, because. Uh, you know, had that series happen under normal circumstances, you know, I, I certainly didn't feel really good about that, given what we've seen already when the Mavs and Clippers have played this year. Uh, even though if, if you didn't have home court and you weren't playing with fans, uh, that is going to maybe make for some NCAA tournament type oddball results and upsets and things like that. But they're still going to be playing series. And so you could question whether or not you can pull that off a off an upset under the, the, those circumstances. But the point is, I sure hope that whatever happens, um, there will be time to improve your positioning or for your positioning to change so they get away from that matchup. But we'll see. And I think there is some benefit, as I mentioned with Jacob, being young. I think there's a benefit of... Yeah, I thought that was a great question. I had not thought about that. When you asked him that, man, I thought that was a hell of a point. Well, thank you, sir. I'll yes. take that. Uh, I think there's an advantage of having Rick as your coach, who I no doubt has spent time you know, in his lab mm-hmm. drawing up new stuff. Right. And I think also the fact that home court is taken away now. You know, they, they, this was a team that was not going to have home court any time in the playoffs. Now there is no home court. So right. it's just matchups. Yeah. So all three of those things. Although think, we weren't playing that well at home anyway. So. Well, but, yeah. So <laughs> maybe they can just consider this a long road trip. <laughs> I like it. That's good. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. I think, you know. Hopefully, by uh, next week's pod, we'll have more clarity on what's been decided. I kind of like the Cuban plan. I'm for um, getting everybody to play the same number of games. And, uh, you know, if you want to have some additional play in, that's fine. Uh, It doesn't look like that's where the tea leaves are. Let's be honest. I think they want Zion as a part of what's going to happen for ratings. And and I don't blame them. Yes, So they're going to figure some way to get those four teams that are at nine through, you know, 12 in. Um, so, you know, we'll just have to see how that plays out. That's all the politicking that's going to going on behind the scenes uh, this week. There are, there are competing agendas. I mean, make no mistake. Some young teams want to play. Some young teams don't want to play. Right. Uh, bad you know, teams. Positioning, uh, you know, the Lakers want to play because – they obviously feel like they have a chance at a championship. I mean, LeBron, you know, basically yes, tweeted two weeks ago. He can't afford to lose the season. Yeah. And so, so you know, but how how are they going to set it up? And uh, if they do this World Cup he could lose, group, he, group play. Let's yeah. say he has a couple of bad games right out of the gate. He could be out. Yep. And I know the league doesn't want that. So I don't see the World Cup thing holding a lot of – it could it could be for seeding purposes somehow, but I don't think for – elimination purposes you you, you just to me and it's like i think you know look what the nhl is doing is a nice plan i like the fact that they're opening it up to 24 teams but but for everybody that that now the first four teams at least they know that they're in when they have their little seating tournament for the first four four spots but if you're setting five through 12 uh on both sides of the ledger there i mean 16 teams their games their first games are going to be best of five the starts of best of five series that are going to determine your fate and that's awfully tough because by that point in time, I mean, those guys would be looking at it's going to be five months, perhaps, since they will have played a competitive game. Because that level of what the NHL, maybe maybe I'm going to be off on the timeline here, but that that stage of what the NHL is going to do may not be until sometime in early August at that point. So they've, you know, I just... And the, and the Mavs I, are seven yeah. games above Memphis in the eighth spot, 11 games above the nine seed. Yes, it would so be, yeah, it, it would it's be just, really It's unfair. ridiculous for them to... Have be to be penalized in, in some way because of that. Yeah, have to have to be in, a, in an immediate play-in scenario that we're going to say seven, eight, nine, ten in the West and seven, eight, nine, ten. Especially in the if East. it's a two out of three or a one, you know, one game or something fluky. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, some of the ideas that exist out there are twenty teams coming back and. Uh, the top seven in the West and the top six in the East, and that's 13 teams. And the reason that, that those 13 teams are being mentioned is because there's a huge gap between 13 and 14 in the league right now. I mean, if you look at the the the, the top seven in the West and the top six in the East, all of those teams are basically at a winning percentage of 600 or better. I think the Mavs are the only one, and they're at 597, I believe, so is what they're winning So taking the two percentage. teams in the East at 7 and 8 and taking the five teams from 8 to 12. In the West, yeah. You all can of play those a teams, World Cup style there. Yes, yes, all of those teams are between... 
400 and 460, their winning percentage. So there's there's a huge gap. And and so and yes, obviously, look, I'm Mavs biased and we all know that. But that would be uh, there would be. And look, it's a difficult situation. Certainly understand that. Uh, but 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 I do think that even with the fact that, yes, we're, we're going to have to accept some weirdness in this difficult situation, that would be immensely unfair to put the Mavs in the same boat with Memphis, New Orleans, San Antonio, Sacramento, Orlando, you know, to put them in a play-in tournament when they're clearly so far separated from, from the other, the other and teams. And those seven teams could play any style of play-in tournament you want, whether it's somehow bracketed off or whether it's a round-robin and you figure it out and have – the three best teams yeah. then seated and you do a one through 16 seating that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we'll see, um, you know, maybe we're being optimistic that by this time next week we'll have more details, um, you know, but maybe not. We'll see. Uh, you know, it, w- it would be nice to start knowing more because as you said, Michelle Roberts from the players association said, you know, we're, we're at a point. I know that Adam Silver has been very, very cautious and very careful and didn't want to rush decisions, but we are kind of in a point where, you know, a map has to be laid out at this point of, of what's going to happen because players need to get back. Players need to know how to start preparing. And, uh, you know, if, if you're a player who, uh, you know, is on a team that maybe isn't going to get invited to the picture, then you probably want to know that as well. So you can turn the, to the next page of whatever that's going to be. Yep. Well, uh, good times talking to Jake. And yep. I think uh, next week we'll have some more meaty stuff to tear into. And that's it. Thanks for joining us on 77 Minutes in Heaven.